You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ken Honda. This is the Earn and Invest podcast. There was a time when I thought having money would make me happy. Often when I was unhappy, when I felt crushed by my workday or feeling the grind of being beholden to someone else's whims, I would daydream about what having enough looked like, whether it be a net worth number or some sort of passive income that would sustain my family and me. What I never did, however, is differentiate between the types of money that was coming in. Was it happy money or unhappy money? Was my money smiling at me? Hmm. While it sounds a little hokey, the concept goes well with my theories about intention. Good or happy intentions lead to good outcomes. Bad or unhappy intentions, well, you get the idea. Could the same be true for money? Well, my guest today says it is. Ken Honda is Japan's number one best-selling personal development guru and author of Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Ken Honda, welcome to Earn and Invest. We were talking in the intro about happy money and unhappy money. And in the beginning of your book, you describe a scenario where someone is with you at a party and you say it's not uncommon for someone in Japanese culture to ask to look at the contents of your wallet. Is that really true? Does that happen in Japan all the time? Uh, around the time, there's uh, um, a TV uh, uh, programs and also uh, magazine articles. That what kind of celebrities, uh, celebrities wallets? Uh, they have sometimes. Uh, wouldn't you be interested in, um, you know, President Obama's wallet, Justin Bieber, <laughs> and, and, and interesting, you know, would they even have a wallet? So uh, there was a huge interest in what kind of uh, wallet, a uh, big, small, leather, just just card holders. So uh, the people are crazy about that. So um, that's about the time. Not anymore, I think. At the time in this story, you describe this person asked to look at your wallet and they take a look at your cash and she wanted to see if the money was smiling at you. What exactly does that mean? I was so confused because I was surrounded by four or five people in a part at the party and she, she was checking something. This is good. This is great. Oh, this is okay. And she put them all back in and then gave my wallet back and said, uh, you passed the test. All your money was smiling. <laughs> I said, what? I passed the test? Sounds, sounds like a good news. And uh, she said, so that means you must have made a lot of people happy and received money. 
And I said, wow, that's interesting. And he said, on the other hand, some people uh, take advantage of other people and, and make money, or they do what they don't like. So the money they earn that way is crying or sometimes angry in your wallet. And angry wallet, uh, angry money in your wallet can make you miserable, can bring uh, a lot of fighting energy in your house. So uh, you often fight over money because bad energy um, in your wallet uh, means bad energy in your house between the couples and also in your ha- household and, uh, and in the workplace too. So uh, in, a, in a company um, that's doing shady business, and trying to uh, rip off uh, um, old people, for example, even though they are legal, uh, the energy there is not so happy. So she told me about uh, what um, money uh, carries certain energy. And I started thinking from that perspective. And uh, I've been really enjoying when I imagine Okay, I think this uh, this person's money is smiling in the wallet. <laughs> oh, this must be definitely crying. So, <laughs> you know, it's a funny concept because she looked at your money and she said, "This is happy money because you're making money, and you're also making people happy." But if I remember about your past, your goal wasn't necessarily at some point to make money. You did something that was probably highly unusual for a male in Japan. You stopped working at the age of 29 to bring up your daughter. Tell me about that decision. And is that something that you see in your culture very often? No, not at all. But uh, uh, I really appreciate that. And also I'm proud that because of my books, I sold millions of copies so uh, a lot of young Japanese men are influenced by my books. So they they tend to have a, a week or two weeks and sometimes months off for their baby girls and boys. And uh, I did that uh, 24 years ago for four years. And that was uh, so unheard of. My I shocked all my friends. <laughs> but actually, in fact, there are some of them who took uh, two months and sometimes uh, uh, one year off of their busy schedule because they try to come up with some time for their baby, for their babies. And they forever appreciated me for doing that because nobody tells you that your time is more precious in your 20s and 30s than your time in your 70s, 80s. You know, for people in their 70s, if, if you take one year off, not much drama, yeah. but from your 29 to 30 or like 25 to 26 a lot of dramas you know meet you meet new person new job and a lot of things happen so if you can dedicate your one year for your family that really changes everything i feel like you came to this knowledge probably after you had left your job right because you didn't start writing the books until after you left and were taking care of your daughter how mm-hmm. did this epiphany come? How did you come to this conclusion and realize, for instance, what you just told me that those years later on aren't the don't have in a sense almost even the same value as the as the younger years? So I was smart enough to uh, ask good questions. So in my twenties, I since I was twenty, um, I started asking good questions to uh, adults. So when my wife and I found that uh, she was pregnant. I just ask around people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s 
what is the most important thing about child raising? Like, you know, to protect self-esteem of the baby or just spend more time or just teach English or I don't know, stop musical, you know, um, uh, training or whatever that is. Uh, what would you regret? And I thought like 10 different answers from 10 different people. And what's amazing is that 10 people said exactly the same thing to the worst. They said, I wish I spent more time together. And uh, I asked them, what do you mean by that? And they said, it doesn't really matter you know, how I spent it, but I wish I spent more time uh, because I was busy doing something for work and for the family. So I couldn't, I, I just don't remember. I spent even a few minutes with my newborn baby. So I want to buy back my time. You know, um, that person was in, in his 50s. Uh, he was a millionaire. I And I said, how much would you pay? Yeah. Uh, he, he said, I'll probably pay a million a year. Wow, million dollars a year? You know, And then mm, that means like, that must mean a lot. Uh, and, he, and he said, imagine if you become a millionaire in your 50s and then... Um, God or devil shows up and 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 offer offers you a, a trade. You know, do you want to buy back your uh, one year um, right after your baby is born without million dollars? And if you have say five or six million dollars or ten million dollars, don't you think you're willing to spend one million dollars to buy back your time? And I said, if I have a lot of money, yes, I I would. And uh, he said that that's exactly what you should do. You know, one year maybe too exaggerating, but a month would be good enough. So I was planning to have a month, but after about a month, I started thinking very slowly, and then I, I couldn't get back to this busy mode. So my original one month uh, maternity leave uh, became four four years. Hmm. Now at the time. The job you left was not as a writer. You were not a person who was writing about money. No. How did that all come about? So I was doing consulting and also accounting. So I started my business when I was 20. So I started very young. Uh, my father was a very successful tax accountant. So he started teaching me about money since I was five or six. So by the age 15, I knew a lot about money. I, I wanted to become financially independent by the age 30. So I started my business and I helped a lot of clients. Uh, so I never worked for anybody in my life in, in a company. So um, I started early and finished early. So uh, in my 30s, I thought I could work for other people. That's my uh, intention in my 20s. And I was lucky enough to be able to retire with my uh, baby girl and with my wife. So during the semi-retirement for about two years into semi-retirement, I got this vision of <laughs> writing a book, which was a bizarre because I was a ma law major student and, uh, um, you know, I did my job was accounting and consulting, <laughs> far from writing anything. But I uh, this vision kept coming back. One time I just did a, a self-score of uh, how probable you can be a writer. Mm-hmm. There's a checklist of 20 questions. Like when you were kids, did you know this? And and you know, can you read these characters? Do you know these words? I didn't know, no, no, no. So I ended up scoring zero of becoming an <laughs> author, you know, because I, I had no skills, I had no education, I had no background. Oh, well, the only thing is I had passion about books. 
I love the box. That's the only, but it didn't say in, in the 20 questions. So even though I scored zero, but my passion of sharing this information was big. And so I started writing, uh, I think, three years into semi-retirement and started uh, um, giving away my essays, about 26 pages, you know, about uh, stapled copies. All my friends loved it. So um, and they said, uh, can I have five more copies? And I said, OK. So every day I was stapling my you know, booklets, which was my joy because somebody loves my writing, you know, which is amazing. My self-image was so low after you know, changing diapers and doing nothing. Uh, so I was so happy doing that. And one time uh, I got uh, sore hands because of stapling every day. Uh, and I was complaining about that. And, uh, and my friend said, why don't you hire a printer? Which I did. And instead of, uh, I wanted to have like 300 book uh, copies or 500. He said, you know, we do only minimum of 1,000. I said, 1,000? I don't need that many. But he said, that's a minimum. Okay. And just, I unwillingly signed the contract. And But he said, he took the sh- uh, pip- uh, sheet of paper away from me and said, sir, actually, Look at these numbers, 3,000 copies. Uh, if you print that number, cost per uh, one booklet goes like one third. And it costs like uh, $5 to print. But now it's like $1.50 or something, like 3,000 copies. Good deal. So I signed a contract. <laughs> and I did. It. he didn't tell me intentionally how many boxes it would be. So two, week, two or three weeks later, two trucks came in, in, in front of my apartment and started unloading, and I asked him, what are these? I thought my neighbor is moving in, <laughs> and then it was my booklet. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, I just gave him a tip and just uh, give me 30 minutes. I started to take a lot of things away from my um, room, and then I put everything in. And um, so I I try to come up with a good excuse for my wife, I know when I walk back, there's these boxes, you know, but it's my boxes, so it doesn't work. So I said, I apologize and sincerely. I'm so sorry. I, you know, this guy said three thousand is cheaper, so I signed a contract. Uh, is that okay? I just, I promise, you know, I just give away all the these booklets because my my friends loved it. So uh, in three months, and she said, one month, either boxes out or you out. <laughs> And then I started calling, you know, my friends, you, you like my book, uh, you know, my writing, do you want 100? Okay, I'm going to send you 200. I just give away. And then after a few weeks, I got uh, so many faxes. Though, you know, long, many, many years ago, there's, there's a machine called fax machines. So I got so many orders uh, of free copies. And then I printed another 3,000. This time I was smart enough to uh, rent a storage unit for that. And then I printed another 5,000. It was such a joy to share what I knew. And by the time I gave away 100,000 copies, which was a little crazy. You know, I was was, um, crazy in so many different ways. You know, if you don't work for four years, something does that to your psyche. And so... Uh, I print. I gave away a hundred thousand copies, and the publisher called me, and they asked me to write a book. And the rest is a history. I published more than two hundred books and sold about almost nine million copies now. 
So we are going to talk about what's in those books, The Five Steps to Happy Money. But before we get there, I'm really interested in this idea that you did the scoring on being an author and you scored zero, right? But you said (laughs) something to the extent of, but because I had the passion, Uh I was able to do it. You know, at the end of your book, Happy Money, you say, do what matters most and let the money support you. And that's kind of what you did, right? You said, this Uh is my passion. I'm going to do it. But is that option open to everyone? You know, I'm thinking of people who are living hand to mouth and don't have enough money and are just struggling to make money doing what they do every day. Or maybe people who want to be an author like you, but try to write and no one wants to buy what they write. Um, is that really an option to kind of do what gives you passion and and the money will follow? So I, I wrote a national bestsellers uh, about, about 10 years ago. Uh, the title goes, do what you love and make sure money follows you. And in that, uh, doing what you love is not all. It's about 20% of the whole thing. The rest, 90%. You have to set up a system. You have to work systematically on what you love. If you just you know follow your heart and do it for two days, it doesn't bring in any money because you have to go beyond uh, amateur level, you know, you have to go beyond professional level, you know, and uh, and then uh, either you're cooking, you're singing, you're counseling, coaching, whatever that is, people don't pay you uh, if you're not good enough. So you have to be much, much better than just being good or ordinary. So that means uh, you have to find something that is that you're truly, truly passionate about. So you don't care how many years it takes uh, or how much how much ever it takes to, to to finish it. My dream of becoming an author in English, uh, it took me nineteen years. Hmm. I, I I had a dream about two thousand uh, two thousand one, uh, or, or, or uh, almost like last millennium, right? And then uh, my English book came out in nine, uh, 2019. So it took me eighteen years or nineteen years. So your dream may not come true in two seconds. It takes time. All right. So let's then talk about the five steps to happy money. Maybe this is the pathway to some of those dreams. Step one is to shift out of the scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Is the scarcity mindset the human default? I mean, is that just what we all have to start with? I think so. Like, uh, just imagine ourselves in a caveman, uh, cave. I think I should say cave person's age at the time. So there's not much food, you know, there's no fridge. So uh, we were all starving and we're all afraid that predators are going to catch us and eat us. Uh, so we were all afraid. So I think being in fear is just a, a, a survival mechanism. So uh, not moving out not, or not taking action is uh, the best strategy. I think uh, our ancestors are the ones who are so coward and didn't come out of the small cave or didn't come down from the trees. All those uh, like uh, people who are like Steve Jobs type of uh, risk takers, they took an adventure and then they never returned because the curiosity kills, <laughs> I think, uh, cave people. We are the, so we are the, the descendants of a uh, coward people. That's how we survived. So in, in in deep our conscious level, taking actions and making a change could be a potential danger. So that's why we are afraid of making changes. So that's in our system. 
So um, we have to be aware that's our default. But also we had ancestors of risk takers. We, you know, we took thousands of miles uh, trip and then uh, we uh, we just sail around uh, hundreds of miles uh, from nowhere. And then a lot of people must have died, but we are the descendants of a proud, you know, risk takers. So we have a, a mixture of both. And in order to shift out of the scarcity mentality is that you have to really see abundance everywhere. So, um, for example, when I became an author 20 years ago, people said, oh, people are not going to read books. You know, sorry, it's a bad timing. You know, nobody's reading. And, you know, this this little machine, you, you can read it uh, online. So nobody carries uh, uh, paper books anymore. And there was partially right because, you know, the, the whole sales of books are diminishing. But I sold, uh, including my booklets, 10 million books have been read by people. So they were not um, right about people don't read books anymore. So I think uh, when you come in for, uh, I don't know, whatever the, the job is, you know, people would say, you're coming too late. You know, you should have come in 20 years ago. 30 years ago, or like two years ago, if it's an IT business. But I think they're wrong. You can start your own field. So um, I think by having the mentality that there's a space for me. Because what's interesting is that people are attracted to other people who are passionate, generous, kind, and fun. Uh, so I think it's the same if you it's in a restaurant business or florist or a masusu, or a teacher, or doctor. So I think uh, your high energy, your happy energy attracts more business. So let's talk about what I think is probably one of the side effects of a scarcity mindset, this idea of money obsession. Mm -hmm. You say in your book, money obsession cuts off our potential for a great life. Why? Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, uh, we try to go the short, short we try to get take a shortcut usually shortcut is not fun it's fast but you can't see much you know uh if you uh fly from uh, point a to point b you can probably travel fastest but you don't get to see so so much in between if you if you go drive you can see a lot but still you can enjoy if you if you walk you see the flowers, you see, you know, people, you have a chat and you see uh, trees and um, um, meadows and you get to see so many beautiful things. So life is to be enjoyed, not, you know, go the shortest cut. If you want to have a shortcut, I think you should die today. So, you know, it can end in your short life. So uh, life is uh, um, full of dramas and uh, both uh, positive and negatives. And if you are uh, okay with the, uh, either ones, your life will be full. But we try to go the, sh uh, the short uh, shortcut. Uh, people ask me, uh, how can I make money? How can I be a, how, how can I become a millionaire in the shortest time of, of your life? And I said, I can teach you, but it's boring. You know, <laughs> if you just, if somebody, you know, wires you a million dollars, um, that's boring. My first million dollars was full of uh, uh, hardships and also full of tears and uh, sweat. And that is uh, the, the most memorable and also uh, fun time of my, of my life 
because I was not sure if people love me, uh, loved what I do, and uh, the, the second person, the third person believed in me, and I was so touched, and uh, we formed a team, and we were not really sure, but a lot of people showed up. So there's a lot of drama. So I hope you enjoy the process of finding what you love and testing the waters, and then finally uh, get celebrated by so many people. Step two of the five steps of happy money is to forgive and heal your money wounds. You Mm. were talking about the cavemen a little while ago when we were talking about Uh, the scarcity mindset. How far do these money wounds go back? I think for now, uh, you can focus on your childhood. When I was seven or eight, I wanted a mountain bike. My parents said, that's too expensive. You know, that's too early for you. Like, I, I I felt like I was completely denied because you know i was seven i thought i was already an adult you know how uh, boys feel so i i got really hurt in so many ways i wasn't worth it i wasn't ready i wasn't mature enough like i i thought i was judged by my parents and in fact we we had money so uh, that was not the part of it but i was denied for a dream bike and i'm sure many of us have been denied for our dream summer camps and the bicycles like me, ballet lessons, soccer lessons, and swimming lessons. Or, or, uh, or and, and It's interesting, you know, younger generation, they want different things like PlayStations and Nintendo Switch, whatever that is, you know, we are often denied because it's too expensive for you. So that, her, is still with us. So when we want to uh, do something new, I want to quit my job and start my own business. Uh, this scarcity... Uh, money Scott is tells us, no, you can't make it because you're not worthy. You're not worthy of doing it. You know, you, you cannot do it because it's too expensive for you. You cannot do it. So uh, unless you heal what happened in your past, you feel like money is hard to get. Uh, and uh, for uh, happy people, money comes right in uh, the second you want it. And then it goes out. Uh, it's like a smooth uh, flow. It's like health. You know, you eat a good amount and then release a good amount. But for a lot of us, when money comes in, we hoard it. And then we try to eat, 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 and then refuse to go to the bathroom. I'm not going <laughs> to the bathroom. <laughs> I want to hold on to the money I had in my system. But when you think of health, that's so unhealthy. You have to release it in order to enjoy the next food. But when it comes to money, most of us are living the life of eating, 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 and, and never release. That, and that's not fun. You mentioned this idea of healing your wounds. Um, it makes me think of forgiveness, and, and maybe not just you, but but the generations before, right? Because I, I get the feeling that some of these money wounds come directly from our parents who yes. themselves are suffering from their own money wounds. Exactly. And, and, and uh, I've done a lot of money counselings all over the world, and I often deal with people uh, whose grandparents were born and brought up in the Great Depression era. And think about it, it's 1930s, like 90 years ago. And But the, the money scars that uh, your grandparents uh, experienced as a child, uh, as children, it was passed on to your parents' generation and then you. It makes sense when I do a money counseling to ask uh, what your parents' background and and and. Uh, your grandparents' background, and I can sense why the reason why you cannot 
leave your company that you're working for and start your own business is that you are so scared because of this uh, money scars that happened to your grandparents eight years ago. And then he goes, it doesn't make sense, but I feel it's true. So, and then after just uh, appreciating uh, your parents and your grandparents for uh, giving giving you the scars or uh, to make sure that you're safe, they didn't do it to punish you. They did it. So they make sure that you're safe. So in, in my counseling, I just tell my clients to do this ritual. Thank your parents, thank your grandparents, and and ask for a guardian instead of just uh, you know protecting them. And so instead of just protecting, uh, not to do anything new, you know, just protect me if I just start doing this. And uh, this they can get out of the scarcity mentality very soon. We are talking to Ken Honda about the five steps to happy money. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals. And let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave. And two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use. 
quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Ken Honda. He is Japan's number one best-selling personal development guru and author of Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. You mentioned the term money flow, Ken, and this reminds me of step three of the five steps to happy money. Step three is discover your gifts and get in the flow of happy money. First and foremost, and I get this question all the time, how do we discover our gifts? And I think it comes down to how do we know what our purpose is? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, oftentimes you you find it difficult to do certain things. And uh, uh, by the end of the day, you feel so tired. Oh, that was a tough day. And on the other day, you know, you after working uh, 14 hours, you feel still feel energized. And then oh, that was so fun. You know, I can just start working another 14 hours. You know, uh, I'm a little exaggerating. And uh, Dr. G, I, if uh, my observation is correct, I, I I I think you love talking with patients, right? Definitely. And they sometimes you go uh, deep uh, into the conversation about their childhood or young time. And, and when you just realize, oh, you have to go to the next person, right? So I think your gift is in... Uh, listening, uh, deep listening, and I, I I should call it soul listening. So people are heard at a soul level, which is uh, such a rare gift. Uh, and um, so all your patients uh, must have been so happy to find you as their doctor, because <laughs> unfortunately, I think it's not in the U.S. or uh, Europe and Japan. Not many doctors are educated in active listening so they said okay this is your diagnosis and see you in two minutes you know so uh very you know short it's not even a human uh connection so uh when you feel that deep connection with patients you feel like oh that was beautiful and that's when you actually are finding your gifts and you must have received so many comments Dr. G, you're so incredible. Thank you so much for my, being my father's, you know, doctor. And uh, compliments like that tells you that you have a gift in that. They probably didn't uh, say, I'm so glad that b- because you're so uh, intelligent, you graduated from certain university. I don't think they mentioned that. They mentioned about who you are. So that's when you find out that you where your gifts are. So uh, the next step is like if you can just uh, improve your gifts and make it outstanding so people are starting to pay. But uh, you have to acknowledge it, acknowledge what you have and protect it because your gift is just a newborn little sprout. And a lot of people, especially your parents and, and your uh, your spouses, come come up and say, oh, uh, that's a weed. And they try to just take it out. <laughs> so you have to protect it. 
I like this step, step three, because you talk about the flow of happy money. One is figuring out your gifts, but then you talk about getting in the flow. And I'm wondering, you know, is money an energy source? I mean, when you talk about it, I almost feel like it's electricity. Like there's this thing around us that's carrying us um, to and fro. Do you see it as an energy source? Yes, exactly. Because uh, whatever you give out as energy, it comes back. So one time at my retreat center, um, there's this six-year-old girl asking me, Ken, is everything around in this room all yours? And I said, in fact, yes. I bought everything you know, in, in this room. I bought this curtain. I bought these flowers. I bought this sofa uh, because somebody did a great job. So I, I, I tend to buy handmade uh, stuff because you know I, I can really feel the energy. So I was telling this little girl, you know, a lot of people pay me uh, happy money. So with that happy money, I bought all these uh, happy goods. So I'm surrounded by happy energy. Isn't that fun? And she said, that's that's sweet, is what she said. So if you're surrounded by good energy, as a result of servicing other people, good energy, you, rec- you receive happy money and then buy happy goods. So you're surrounded by happy energy. And that's the beauty of life. And if you just uh, um, st- let, uh, if you st- start letting money flow in. It's interesting you say that the way you do, because happy money, happy flow in, but also this idea that it has to continue flowing, right? So happy money has to flow out. You know, lots of gurus out there tell you that frugality is what you need to do and that you shouldn't be spending money do you disagree with them? It's up to them. If if your money container is small, you can spend less money. If your money container is big, you can just uh, earn more money and uh, spend more money. For example, you know my income is much much higher than supporting uh, three of us, my wife and my daughter, and so I'm supporting uh, a, a lot of other families by my personal basic income. So I support them uh, in ways that uh, they can get their life together and then start you know, just doing something else. So I, I don't need the income uh, as much as I earn, but the income I receive can be used for other people too. It's up to you. you know, if you are uh, destined to have a small money container, you probably live like a monk. And if your money container is big, friend of mine has a uh, 10,000 employees in his company it's because his uh, money container is big so he he gets he generates millions of dollars and then uh, millions of dollars are paid as a salary so we all have a purpose we all have a, a role in a society most important thing is finding your own seat is super important because we tend to find a seat in the wrong section It's an interesting idea, and I think that goes well with the fourth step of the five steps of happy money, which is trust life. And that almost sounds passive to me. And I feel like we've been having a very active conversation about what you can do to have happy money. Tell me about trust life. And you say specifically it can't coexist with fear. Elaborate on that for me. When we think of future, does that make you feel uh, welcome? And then happy, or when you think of future, do you feel in anxiety or do you feel fear? It depends on which fear, uh, which uh, future 
do you plan to have? If you feel like you're welcome, you're excited, and you you can't wait to see your future, you imagine subconsciously your future will be fun. And if you're in a fear mode, survival mode, or worry mode, that means your future will be miserable. Your future will be full of money worries and money-related stress uh, because you're kind of expecting that future. So just imagine two doors. One, a lot of fun. One, a lot of tough, tough things. Which one do you want to open? And unfortunately, a lot of people want to open. I don't want to open this. I don't want to open this and open the (laughs) fearful doors because that would lead to another fearful doors. So uh, when you are in a trusting mode, either it might come out as a negative thing, uh, like sickness or like, you know, bankruptcy or whatever that is. It could be bad. It could be good. But if you can think of this life as a learning kindergarten, you know, time, you can enjoy both positive and negative. So if you're in that state of mind, you can enjoy your next step. So whatever comes next, you can enjoy it. Could be positive, could be negative. Let's see what happens. Life is half positive, half negative. You know, we cannot change that. And uh, we don't have to change the way we feel because it's not natural. So some people try to uh, force you to think positively, but uh, things are half positive, things are half negative. It's a it's a law of nature. So I think it's it's, it's easier for us to adapt to this nature. Enjoy both. You don't have to label it. You know, you don't have to uh, unlabel it and label back. And and if you have that mentality, you can enjoy both. That is trusting the future. It's not expecting the best to happen every day, which is unrealistic. One of the ways to trust and enjoy the future is to take step five, which is to say arigato all the time. For people who don't know, and us English speakers, tell me what arigato actually translates into in English, and why is this important? Arigato means uh, it's hard, impossible to be, or impossible to exist. That means like one in a million. So uh, the chance that you invited me is such an arigato thing, because you could have chosen somebody else, but you found me. And so that is something that uh, I I want to appreciate, because you had enough trust in me that I'm good enough. I hope I was good enough for your show. And then uh, you think I was the right fit. So the trust I, I had from you without meeting me is big. So that's like impossible. So impossible thing is keeps happening. That is what I think a miracle. So when you, uh, uh, when you feel what comes next is a great thing, uh, what, no matter what. You can enjoy it. I can just um, uh, share a quick story of my student, uh, student in my seminar. He was riding a bicycle one day, and he was supposed to turn right. But somehow, he, he, he turned left, and then he got hit by a huge truck. Uh, luckily, he just broke his leg, and then he had to be hospitalized in three months. Is this good luck or bad luck? Probably bad luck. But during the three months uh, period, he was in the same room with this guy, and they became very close friends, and they, you know, they were just um, uh, bit, became very close. And one day, his uh, hospital mate got a visitor, and uh, his niece, and 
this my student and I fell in love with this niece, and then she got married. So uh, it's a good luck, bad luck, good luck so far. And I haven't seen him for a year, so I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> he might come up and say, "Can you know what happened? You know, we got a divorce," or he may stay happy. So, but the fact that he turned left changed his destiny. And then at the time of marriage, he was very happy. By the way, when he turned left, but after five years, he may find it terrible. I wish I I turned right so I, I didn't meet her, or uh, after that. He might end up being another person or another incident. So life is a full of、uh, dramas. So we don't need to judge if this is good, this is bad, because it's just a sequence of experiences. And if we just see what's happening next, and、uh, we can enjoy both, I think、uh, that is trust in life. The interesting thing that I think. After reading this the first time, I did a little bit of a dub- double take. Is this idea that we should be saying "arigato" when money comes in, but we should also be saying it when it comes at- when it goes out? Why、yes. is that important? Because we get something in exchange for money,、uh, like at the restaurant. You know,、uh, we're not we're not giving money. We are、uh, we receive food and services and hospitality、uh, in exchange for the money. So we can give that money to the, the cashier or the t- a waiter, a waiting person, in appreciation for the services. And、uh, think of the electricity bills. We are complaining about you know expensive、uh, electricity bills, but、uh, without this, we cannot、uh, heat our hot homes, and we cannot use internet, and we cannot、uh, read books at night. So there are millions of reasons to appreciate for the services rendered. So. Can you feel the appreciation? How many people were involved in installing electricity、uh, in your house? So when you start appreciating everybody, the servicemen and the person at the、uh, power plant and the probably the tanker operator who brought、uh, oil from Middle East or whatever that is, if you can feel that we are uh, living um, in the flow of、uh, people's chain, a lot of people's work. So、uh, without us knowing, we are、uh, already connected globally. So once we know, we are not living alone. I don't like the word "self-made millionaire" because nobody can become a self-made millionaire. We are all connected. So once we feel the appreciation, and I think money will be、um, spent out of appreciation. So we've been talking the five steps to happy money. Step one is shift out of the scarcity mindset. Step two is forgive and heal your money wounds. Step three is discover your gifts and get in the flow of happy money. Step four is trust life, and step five is say arigato all the time. It kind of makes me wonder as we get to the end of this conversation, do we overstress the importance of the money itself? I mean, is the money the important thing here? I think the goal is forget about money. So money becomes air、uh, if you have enough. So money is a、uh, uh, ice, icy things. You know, when you're living in a cold war、uh, place, you know,、uh, money is frozen. So you get、uh, fro- fro- frozen bites and it's pointy. So money is dangerous when it's frozen. And when it money becomes water in a、um, mild、uh, environment. Uh, you is still you need management. You, you have to make sure there's enough, 
if it's too much, it becomes flood. If it's too little, it becomes drought. So you have to be pay you have to pay much attention. But when it, money gets heated up and be, evaporates, it's air. So we don't complain. Our neighbors are sniffing more air. <laughs> you know, there's enough. So uh, I don't think of money in on on the daily life when I pay taxes. Like, uh, I, I wow, that's a big number, uh, and and then I appreciate because I. Uh, the reason I'm paying so much taxes is that I, I earned so much money. You know, happy money came in, in my life in such a big way. I try to come up with uh, all the faces and, and and people who pay me happy money. So that's a time when I just think of money. But in on everyday life, I use credit cards and my people can take care of the bills. Uh, I don't see money in everyday life. But because I'm I know that... In a huge way, uh, beautiful energy comes in and beautiful energy moves out. So if you have more than enough and if you make more than you spend, you don't have to worry uh, about money for the rest of your life. So I hope all the viewers and listeners, if if you want to know more about money, I think the goal is to forget about money. And if, if you start focusing on what's more important than money, I think you pass the money test. In the U.S. right now, there's lots of excitement about this idea of hitting financial independence at an early age, like you did, right, and retiring early. I'm wondering your thoughts about retirement, because in your book, you almost never mention it, and it almost seems beside the point. Yes, because, uh, you know, what do you retire for? Do you want to retire for recognition? Do do you want to retire that you want to show off what you have? My retirement could be very boring. So I was uh I, I had the happiest time because I had a baby. But if I was a, if I was a single guy, I, I I wouldn't retire because it's too boring. You know, it, I it, I retired it's because of uh, a precious time. It was a time of nesting for my family. But I I'm not planning to retire soon. So uh retire when you're young and then go back to work and work for the rest of your life. I think that's uh, the ideal life. So don't retire if you like what you do. But you can retire for a few years for your baby babies or your, for your loved ones because nesting is very important. Uh, your life will be built on the basis of, of that nest, nesting. So uh, retire young is not necessarily the most important thing. I think most important thing is after little retirement, what are you going to do to fulfill your life, fulfill your soul? I think it's more important than just retire young and play golf all day, unless you're a golfer. (laughs) Well, Ken, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What I really take from this conversation is this idea that if we do what matters to us, happy money will flow in because it will be supporting us doing what matters. And then if we spend on things that are important to us and let that happy money flow out, we eventually won't have to worry about money at all. And I think that's really the purpose. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And specifically, if people have questions or want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I feel so shy about doing this in English, but now I'm coming out of uh, this small hiding place and uh I started English community called Arigato Living Community. You can find all the information at kenhonda.com. I um, 
I do a sharing and Q&A every month, um, depending on the time, sometimes for North American audience, North and Central South American audience, sometimes for European African audience. But I do that once or twice a month. So uh, you can ask me any questions. And uh, um, that is a community. And uh, I start teaching um, outside of Japan. So I hope one day I'm going to meet you in person. And just I want to listen in uh, all your incredible stories of happy money. Well, the book is Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Ken Honda, thank you for coming on the Earn and Invest podcast. Dr. G, thank you so much. That's such a great honor for me to be uh, spending time with you. Thank you. Arigato. Arigato, and that's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Awesome. I keep things running just for a moment or two to catch the after show as we're chatting. Um, but thank you for doing that. I really enjoyed your book. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, so my story is I came to understanding my finances at a point when I had enough. I just didn't really understand my finances. And I was also at this point where I was having trouble with the practice of medicine and wasn't enjoying it as much and wasn't doing the things in medicine I like to do. Um, and so I spend a lot of time not thinking about how you get enough money per se, but more importantly, what's the role money plays in our life and how does it allow us to live a better, more purposeful life? And so I really enjoyed reading your book because I think, you know, we're very much aligned in this idea of what yes. money should do for you and how it is in a sense, I call it potential energy, right? It's this potential energy that allows you a tool to do all sorts of things but yes. above and beyond that, it has mm -hmm. no other importance. And so yes. I love this. I love this more spiritual idea, too, that you kind of welcome in the happy energy of money into your life when you do things that are meaningful and important to you. Um, and then you can spread that happy energy back out into the world. And money just happens to be one of those forms we do that. Mm -hmm. And I think you're the doctor, you're the living example. So I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I, tr I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. 